I love you, but you have problems. That's Paul's letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church had all kinds of problems, and today we're going to talk about the problem of common sense. Now, I got three questions on your sermon notes page. Who is spiritual? Who is wise? And who is mature? Three huge questions, and I hope, I hope you want to be spiritual, you want to be wise and mature. So I'm going to give you up on the screen some multiple choices of what each of these is. Who is spiritual? Is it someone who receives special revelations from God, speaks in tongues, accepts Christ, feels the Spirit, or all of the above? Next question. Who is wise? Someone who has insight into life, someone who follows Jesus, someone who's a deep thinker, someone who has knowledge that others do not possess, or all of the above? Who is mature? A Christian? An older person, someone who's advanced beyond others, someone who acts his or her age, or all of the above. Three questions Paul wrestles with in our text today. We know the Corinthians had amazing gifts and abilities. They had a lot of good stuff going on, but they were confused on these three, what it means to be spiritual, mature, or wise. And as a church, we want to be spiritual, mature, and wise. What's that mean? Question number one, who is spiritual? Now, spiritual means filled with God's Spirit, Holy Spirit, okay? If the Corinthians were taking this test, I believe they would answer E, all of the above. They did receive special revelations from God. They spoke in tongues. They accepted Christ. And they also equated spirituality with a subjective experience, you know, feeling. They had it all. Who is wise? Again, the Corinthians would answer E, all of the above. They thought they had special insights. They followed Jesus. They were aware of deep things of God. They had knowledge that others did not have. They had it all, and so they assumed they were wise. And then the third question, who is mature? I think the Christians say C because they thought they were advanced beyond others. They were more mature, more spiritual, more wise than other believers, including they were more wise than Paul. So that's how the Corinthians would answer Z. How would you answer it? How would Paul answer these? Our text is 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16, and it is one of the most, I believe, misinterpreted and misunderstood passages in the Bible. See, what's weird, the way people have approached this and interpreted this is to make Paul say exactly the opposite of what he intends. Today, people take Paul's words to support what he's actually trying to eliminate. So he's misunderstood. You ever get misunderstood? Yeah. So this passage is part of a larger argument. I wish we could read it all, but we can't. But Paul's been talking about wisdom ever since the middle of chapter 1. So I just want to read a couple verses from there. It says, For the message of the cross, that's key, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So the Corinthians were enamored with philosophy and wisdom partly because their culture. Corinth had replaced Athens as the intellectual center of Greece by this time. Because of its location, a lot of people were passing through, a lot of traveling teachers Uh, philosophical thinkers, expert in rhetoric, the intellectually elite, a lot of them were passing through, and the Corinthian Christians were kind of taken up with this wisdom and philosophy. And Paul says that the gospel is not just another philosophy. It's not a wisdom in the sense that they're thinking of wisdom. In fact, 
in verse 8, 18, he says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now, the foolish word foolishness means, for the sake of younger people, I will not say it, S-T-U-P-I-D. I think I will say it. The cross is stupid. A crucified Messiah does not make sense to the wisdom of this world. There's no way a loving good God would use the death penalty for his purposes. And it could be that some Christians in Corinth were embarrassed by the cross. They wanted to be more like the philosophers and go deeper. They wanted to think of themselves having matured and gone beyond Paul's simple barbaric preaching about the cross. And when you read this book of 1 Corinthians, you kind of get the feeling that the Corinthians didn't think Paul was very sharp. He was a few peas short of a casserole, you know? His antenna didn't pick up all the channels. He was not intellectual, not deep, not too sharp, not good at rhetoric. And Paul agrees. He says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, I'm right, guys, I'm not wise, I'm not a great speaker. According to the world's wisdom, my preaching is silly. But Paul rejects human wisdom because it cannot reach God. Verse 21, he says, the world through its wisdom did not know him. So intelligence, ability to think, philosophy, they're all good, they're gifts from God. They're things that we can learn and understand about our world and universe, and we need to do a better job of thinking. I hear that we only use 10% of our brains, so we could do better. Imagine how much we could do if we use the other 60% of our brains. Uh -huh. So, no matter how much of the brain we do use, our wisdom and our intelligence cannot figure out God's plan. God's much bigger than our puny intellects. And one of the biggest hindrances of Christianity today, I think one of our biggest problems today is what some would call common sense. Common sense is a problem in the American church. It's part of the wisdom of this world. Common sense today says, care for yourself, go for all you can get, walk by sight, operate from strength, and individualism. You can do it on your own. Most everyone said, well, yeah, that's just common sense. Doesn't everybody believe that? No, Jesus doesn't, for one. Jesus just didn't have a lot of common sense. He said you had to lose yourself. Common sense says no, self is number one. Jesus said lay up treasure in heaven. Common sense says lay up treasure on earth. Jesus said walk by faith. Common sense says walk by sight. Jesus said you're actually stronger when you're weak. Common sense, no, you need to operate from strength. See, what Jesus and Paul said to the world is just S-T-U-P-I-D. They were teaching the way of the cross, and the cross is foolishness. And if Jesus were here, I'm guessing most people would say he has no common sense. I read an article a couple weeks ago entitled, Why Prudence is Overrated. Now, we often ask, what is the prudent thing to do in this case? When God called Israel to go into the promised land, God said, now I'm giving you this promised land, it's yours, just go in and take it. And the Israelites thought, okay, but, well... What is the prudent thing to do before we go in? Here's an idea. Let's send some spies in to see if it can really be taken. And so instead of trusting God's promise, who already said, you have it, they said, well, we better check it out first. That's the prudent thing to do, and it did not end well. They all died in the desert just using their common sense. 
And if you go with the wisdom of the world, you will be not be thinking the way of God. Now, there are times when common sense makes sense, but only when it lines up, lines up with God's sense and His Word. But for the most part, if you start reading Jesus, just get ready, and Paul, they are not conventional thinkers. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, who are the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, back then, common sense killed Jesus. It was the prudent thing to do. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. So for Paul, the Holy Spirit is the key to wisdom and maturity and understanding, not human intelligence or wisdom. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So only God's spirit knows the mind of God, and only God's spirit can reveal the mind of God. So only those with the Holy Spirit can understand the wisdom of God. Paul is reminding them that they're of a different kingdom, a different mindset, a different wisdom. Since they have the Holy Spirit, they are not of this world. He says, stop thinking like the world. When you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit entered you. And if your religion has just become practical advice, moral values, how to live, how to raise kids, or some philosophy, or just how to get into heaven, that's not the wisdom of God. And that's not what the Holy Spirit is teaching you. So there's a lot of misinterpretations. I'm going to give you three from this. First of all, because Paul rejects the wisdom of the world, some believe that the spiritual person should be anti-intellectual. Paul says, God will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate it. So some say Paul's rejecting education, intelligence, all you need is the spirit. Throw away the books, why would you read Emerson and Thoreau and Plato and human wisdom? Why would you go to school? The Holy Spirit will teach you all you need to know. So Paul is anti-education and some Christians actually believe that. But the separation here is not between spirit and mind. The separation is between God's spirit and human wisdom. That's the difference. He says, we preach a wisdom. It's just not the world's wisdom. And if God were anti-intellectual or anti-education, it seems odd that Moses, David, and Paul, three key leaders in the Bible, in preparing them, God sought that he gave them the best education the world system had to offer. Moses in Egypt, Daniel in Babylon, and Paul had the best Jewish education and was well-versed in the world's literature. So Paul's not teaching anti-intellectualism. He is teaching anti-godless intellectualism. We do preach a wisdom, just not the wisdom of this world. Did you know, I just read this, more than 100,000 chemical reactions occur in the brain each second. And that requires huge amounts of energy. In fact, the brain can burn as many calories in intense concentration as the muscles do during a strenuous exercise. So thinking can actually be as exhausting as a physical workout. If you're really tired after church, it's because you've been thinking so much. If you're alive and awake, it's because you slept during the sermon. You know, anyway, 
But if you want to burn calories, use the brain. I remember when I was in seminary, just get exhausted after several hours of studying. And one reason, I think, for anti-intellectualism, it's hard work using your brain. Ignorance is easier. I mean, let's face it, emotionalism in the church is easy. I just want to feel the Spirit. Well, that can actually be laziness. I want to feel the Spirit too, and I want us to be more spiritual in, in, in that sense as far as emotion, but we still need the brain. Now, the other extreme is go hyper-intellectualism in the church, you know, no emotion, no spirit, knowledge is everything, and we trust our thinking and our education and degrees, and the Bible talks about that, says knowledge puffs up, it makes you arrogant, and it gives you pride. So you can have both temptations, either to trust the wisdom of the world and common sense and our opinions, or go to the way of anti-intellectualism and neglect study and learning all together and just feel the Spirit. I had a guy come up to me once, not here, at another church, and said, Weber, you read too much. Now, I interpret that to say, you want a stupid preacher. And I got news for you, you already have that. But I didn't say that. I didn't say that. It is ironic, though, that the generation with the greatest number of accurate, understandable translations of the Bible and the most study helps and commentaries should be one of the most biblically illiterate generations in the history of the church. It's just hard work. Let me encourage you to burn some energy, do some learning, do some reading, do some under- get into class or small group. Paul's not teaching that the spiritual are anti-intellectual when he says we do not proclaim the wisdom of the world. He says we do have a wisdom, it's just a different wisdom. Second error, because Paul separates the mature from the immature, some people think he's promoting a spiritual elitism. It's an attitude that says only the spiritual can understand the deep things of God. The spiritual people have a special knowledge that others in the church don't have. And that's exactly what the Corinthians were thinking. And Paul's fighting that. He's not teaching spiritual elitism like you're mature over here and you're not mature and you're better because you are, you know, and that kind of stuff. No, who is mature? Who's Paul talking about? Some people believe Paul is dividing Christians into two camps. He's not doing that. He is compare, not comparing believer against believer. He's comparing non-believer with believer. The mature are the ones who follow Christ crucified. The immature reject Christ's crucifixion. The mature do Christ's wisdom. The immature do common sense. Hmm, we don't usually think that way. The immature do common sense. They do the world's wisdom. And the whole context of these first two chapters is the world's wisdom versus the folly of the cross. The cross just isn't common sense. And those who follow the cross, Paul is saying, actually do have the real wisdom and the real maturity and the real spirituality. Now, let me give you some good news here. All Christians, if you consider yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, baptized into him, all of you are spiritual. All Christians, in one sense, are mature because you follow Christ. All Christians have access to the secret wisdom of God through the Spirit. You cannot use this text to say that some Christians have the Spirit and others don't. That becomes divisive. Now, there's other texts that say you can quench the Spirit, you can grieve the Spirit, you can suppress the Spirit, but you have the Holy Spirit in you. Here's a third error. Because Paul thinks about the Spirit searching the deep things of God, some people think that truly spiritual people have special insight. They have a depth about them others don't have. Verse 7, he says, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden. And in verse 14, he says, they're spiritually discerned. Well, what is this hidden wisdom of God? 
some super secret esoteric knowledge of deeper truths that only a few spiritually mature people have. That's what the Corinthians were thinking. The secret wisdom of God, according to Paul, is simply God's plan for saving his people, which is the cross. Verse one, chapter 1, verse 23 says, We preach Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the deep, hidden secret of God is the crucifixion. No one saw that coming. No one expected the Messiah no one, to be die, dying on a cross. No one expected the death penalty to be the hope of the world. And those who accept and live for the crucifixion and under the crucifixion have a knowledge of God that others do not have. The world sees the foolishness, the crucifixion as foolishness, as S-T-U-P-I-D. How can a man on death row be the hope of the world? It's crazy. So back to our questions. Who is spiritual? I believe Paul would answer C, someone who accepts Christ. Anyone who accepts Christ has the Holy Spirit and therefore spiritual. Peter said, repent and be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God will come into your life. So you are a spiritual person if Christ and the cross are central to your life. Who is wise? It's someone who follows Jesus. I think Paul would say B. Someone who accepts Christ and has accepted the wisdom of God, you can have an IQ of 180 and still not be wise if you reject the wisdom of God. And who is mature? Paul would say a Christian, A. It's Christians who are spiritual, mature, and wise. Not because of philosophy or brains or deep insight or education or because they're advanced beyond others or because you know, they've had an emotional experience or because they have common sense, but because our life is centered in the cross of Christ. The wisdom of God is a Messiah crucified into the world. It's crazy. So what makes you spiritual, mature, and wise? The answer is living a Christ-centered, cross-oriented life. Not a wisdom-centered, emotion-centered, or ego-centered life. And not a common-sense life, even. I heard a man this past week say that he took a tour over in Asia Minor and Europe. And he went to the island of Patmos. That rings a bell. That's where the Apostle John was exiled while he wrote the book of Revelation. And on the island of Patmos is a monastery, the monastery of St. John. And this man was asking a monk from the monastery about different things. And the monk said something kind of interesting. He said, when a new monk comes in or a new priest comes to stay at the monastery, when they first get there, they give him a pretty good-sized room and all they need in that room. But as they stay and mature and grow in the faith and get more spiritual, they then get a smaller room with less stuff in it. Now, in our world, when you get better at your profession or better, you get a bigger, you get a raise, you get more, right? But in that monastery, you get less. And maybe we need to rethink our definition of maturity. Maybe maturity is not amassing more and more, or getting older, or getting smarter, or education. Maybe maturity is actually the ability to need less. The ability to empty ourselves. When I think of an immature child, I think of a selfish child. Does that change because we're adults? Maturity means I can give up things. 
Philippians 2.7, Christ made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even death on a cross. Maturity is the ability to die to yourself and to die to the things of this world. The heart of our faith is a crucified Messiah, and we die to ourselves. Common sense says, that's S-T-U-P-I-D. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we as a congregation will all be spiritual and mature and wise, and not in the way that the world thinks of wisdom, but that we will indeed make the cross central. Man, those are easy words to say, but not easy words to live. But I do pray that the cross will be the barometer of this church and of our lives and the example for us to follow. That becomes what we're aspiring after, that kind of life. And I, we thank you, I thank you for revealing this incredible wisdom of the cross. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. We ask for forgiveness when we have not allowed him to lead us. We ask for forgiveness when we've not been cross-centered people and dependent on our wisdom. So Lord, I'm asking, make us a church that lives by your spirit and seeks your wisdom and your maturity, not ours. And we ask this in the name of our Lord. Amen.